Welcome to Ride, the urban mobility podcast. Welcome to Ride, the urban mobility podcast, hosted by me, Martin Carl of Thebetic, and me, Johnny Combe of Payback Ride, the urban mobility podcast, takes a look at the impact of new business models and new technologies on urban mobility from a global business perspective and explores how each new solution fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. The format of Ride is simple. We invite top industry experts to join us for an open and candid conversation. Ride is about the guests, what they have to say and what they bring to the discussion. You can find more details about shows and guests on our website, www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. Martin, we're about to speak to Daniel Burrell, the CEO of RE. Now, RE is an incredibly exciting company in the automotive manufacturing space, but their approach is totally different to a lot of the traditional manufacturers. Can you explain to us a bit about what makes them different to one of those quote-unquote traditional manufacturers? Yeah, RE is a young company making its name as a player in the current surge to electrification. And while most vehicle manufacturers are still making combustion engine vehicles and electric vehicles, RE is taking a completely different approach, building the underpinnings for other companies' electric vehicles. So you won't buy a RE car, you won't drive around in a car with a RE badge on the front, but you'll buy a car that has RE componentry. RE is working, for example, on the RE corner which is a by-wire electrification technology that enables anything from a very small vehicle, such as a micro-shuttle, right through to class six trucks. So essentially, it doesn't matter how big the vehicle is, they build the corners, you build the rest of the vehicle, but they're pushing hard on electrification. So they're taking a modular approach to manufacturing. Yeah, and you mentioned RE being an exciting company. RE recently went public on the NASDAQ via a SPAC, that's a special purpose acquisition company, deal with a company called 10X Capital, with a valuation of around $3 billion. And it has some big partners, including Hino Motors, which is the Toyota truck division, as well as Magna International, JB Poindexter, Navia. Who we featured on the podcast. We have, and American Axle and Manufacturing. And RE has very ambitious plans, which will see revenue in the region of $19 billion by 2026. The company has also made headlines recently with a cargo vehicle. Yeah, that's right. The Leopard, which recalls a last mile autonomous electric vehicle delivery concept. Unfortunately, this was announced a few days after we spoke to Daniel and he didn't reveal anything during our conversation. Very exciting. Remember, you can subscribe to Ride wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to share it, like it, give it a rating, sign up to the Ride LinkedIn page and check out our website, ridemobilitypodcast.com. We should point out that this interview was recorded out and about, so we hope our listeners will forgive the background noise. Let's see what Daniel has to say. Daniel Burrell, co-founder and most day CEO of RE. And can you tell us a little bit about RE? What what does RE do? Sure, absolutely. What RE does is that we created probably the most modular electric platform out there. So we can create vehicles in any size, shape and form in a fraction of, of the cost and almost at no time for comparison reasons. If uh, building a platform is about 8 to 10 years in development and about 1 to 3 billion dollars, uh, we can do it in about 2 years, putting a vehicle on the road from commissioning a program in a, a fraction of that cost. And we do it from vehicles that um, you know small as class 1s and under class 1s, uh, under a ton, all the way up to class 7s. Uh, 
trucks and everything in between. Uh, we're completely agnostic to dimensional change. We're completely agnostic to battery technology or, or, or fuel cells or manner of control. It can be either autonomous or manually driven. How are you able to build these vehicles at a fraction of a cost? Uh, we invented magic. No, seriously, uh, what we've done is we created a technology that is called the Recorner. The Recorner is what packs everything that makes a car go. The suspension, the steering, the braking, the control. But we do it by wire. So we've taken everything off the chassis. Right, so there are no half shafts on the chassis, there are no drivetrain on the chassis, there is just a frame. And everything is packed between the chassis and the wheel. We call those corners because there's no word for those in automotive. And because they're all by wire, we are then agnostic to what's in between them. So we've developed those corners for the past almost decade that we exist uh, and they're ready. And then all we need to do is just build the chassis in between them to facilitate the vehicle. And would the person driving the vehicle know that it's been designed in a fundamentally different way or does it feel, feel successful? It would not feel anything. It's completely the same. What we've done is we brought technology into automotive that did not exist. Where did we bring it from? We brought it from aviation. So planes have been flying by wire for the past 50 years. And we brought in that technology into automotive. So yes, on one hand it's controlled by wire, but on the other hand you have to have a, a feedback to the driver. But that feedback engine, for example, for the steering wheel, already exists, mimicking how it should feel. Right. But it's all by wire, and that's important also for the next step, once we move to autonomy, we're already ready with all the redundancies already built in to go full autonomy today. So who are your customers? So our model, probably the only one in the industry is that we're not vertically integrated, we're horizontally integrated. So we partner. We think that completing is much better than competing. So we work with the world largest OEMs. For example, Toyota, Furuhino, their, their truck arm. Right. So we, we presented back in 2019 a concept car that's going to be the future of, of Hino's uh, vehicles. And we signed a very interesting agreement with them, uh, Business Alliance, the highest level of collaboration on our uh, this year, uh, we're working so with OEM. We're working with uh, uh, top hat manufacturers, uh, body manufacturers such as uh, Poindexter Group, uh, which is the largest in the U.S. Uh, about two of, uh, of every three vehicles, uh, walking vans, etc., in the U.S. is, is Poindexter. Um, we're working with uh, Magna, the world's largest contract manufacturer, as a partner. Uh, we're working with uh, uh, Navia one of the world leaders in, in um, autonomy, and, and many others. Uh, we're working with a very large uh, logistic company, and so on and so forth. So we're looking at the whole industry as, as one. However, we are primarily focused on commercial vehicles, right. and not passenger vehicles. Why uh, is that? The economics behind it is one thing, right? So, so the personal vehicle market is shrinking year over year, and if you believe, like we do in shared mobility, it's headed towards a cliff. Right? And then once shared mobility comes in, we're not going to be owning private vehicles, <coughs> passenger vehicles. And uh, commercial vehicle market is growing exponentially year over year, and there are far less players there. Why there are far less players in, in commercial vehicles? Because these vehicles last 10, 12 years. It's a commercial grade. It's far more difficult to build commercial grade vehicles. Therefore, margins are high. That's on the economic side. 
not less important not more important side is if you really want to make a difference in going to carbon neutral it's the commercial vehicles that count that's the backbone of our economy these are the, the vehicles that bring you know deliveries to our doorsteps uh, groceries to the supermarket uh, moving up from point a to point b and only about one percent of them are electric doesn't make any sense We've seen a real surge in the need for commercial vehicles. You talked about deliveries coming to our doors, especially over the last 18 months or so. The amount of uh, home delivery purchases and so on that have, have taken place have seen, a, you called it, an exponential growth. When you set out on this re-adventure though, were you expecting the growth that you've seen today? So yes, we have. Um, we, we've been doing this for almost a decade now, almost right. nine years. And we were primarily looking at commercial market. We knew that e-commerce e e and, and online is just going to grow. And, e and you know, of course, COVID had a lot of effect recently, but, but it's just a catalyst. It, it doesn't change the whole picture. And five years ago, everybody talked about case, connected autonomous shared electric. And that shared is huge, because if you really believe that, so shared mobility is also commercial, but it's cannibalizing private vehicles. And you see less and less people driving private vehicles in then cities. Uh, London is one example, New York is the other, and, and that's gonna probably even grow further. Now, people tend to forget that shared mobility exists, it's called buses and trains, but it's not efficient enough today. It costs a fortune to run a subway. It costs a fortune to run those public transportation, far more than everybody even considered. But you need to create a much better, more efficient way of traveling. And, and that's only going to be commercial because you have to have a governing body for that. You have to have very deep pockets. You have to have the ability to manage that fleet, to operate that fleet, to provide that services and upgrades. And it can't be on a private level. It has to be on a more commercial level. Andy Palmer, the CEO of Switch Mobility, talks about the difference between a vehicle being zero emissions at the tailpipe and it being a true net zero vehicle. So the vehicles that you build, where, where do they fit and what steps have you taken to ensure that in the manufacturing process, the, the carbon impact is reduced? So uh, Andy Palmer is a gentleman one should listen to. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and I agree with him completely. So we've taken two, two steps for, towards that. One, we're completely agnostic to battery technology or to power source, and that's key. Why? First, if you think about commercial vehicles, they last for about 10, 15 years, but battery technology is old in three and obsolete in five. So how, how, how do you, that doesn't compute. So we've built a way that we can, you can come in as a, as a fleet to power battery, you come in, and in about five, six years, we'll upgrade the vehicle. We'll give you new corners, both mechanically and, and software, and we'll give you batteries. Whatever it's going to be out there, if it's going to be solid state or any other state, we would think of, I don't know what other they are, but we can find some. And that's key for second life of those batteries. Because if you can do it in, with enough time, and you've got enough juice in those batteries, you can use them for second life. And that's one very important step in creating a, an EV. Because people tend to forget that these batteries need to be replaced, and then what? They're not environmentally friendly and you have to think about what to do with it then. Second is, on the production side, um, 
We created a very different approach to the Giga plan. We have integration centers and assembly lines, and we're building a lot of them. Each of them has a capacity of about 30,000 vehicles. And think about it like Lego blocks. You just add more as you want to add capacity. Mm -hmm. We can get one up and running from commission to up and running for production in 10 months. And the idea is to build 15 of those in the next five years. Now, those are mainly autonomic. They're fully uh, uh, robotic, fully integrated, operating right. by, by uh, uh, electricity. Uh, most of it will be solar powered by, by the grid that will generate by ourselves, and the rest from the grid when needed. And they're optimized for efficiency, because that's key. You have to look, like you said, and like I agree with Andy, on the whole chain. Now, I think it's in the base of creating a true mobility revolution. Otherwise, it's, it's not sustainable. Just moving the box. You've talked about we do this, we, we build in these ways. Can you tell us how much RE is going to be involved in the manufacturing itself? Is it going to be your factory building the vehicles or are you going to be licensing? Yeah, oh, we, we're going to be involved neck deep. Okay, if there right. is even more than that. And we, 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 we like to say that we put things in a box. We're, we're a manufacturer. Right. But we are a horizontal player. So think of us as Intel for automotive. So, so when Intel when you're Dell or Lenovo or HP and you want to build a laptop, you choose one of Intel's energy efficient processors and then one company might build a computer that is, uh, has a large screen and the other one will do a business slick, right? Uh, uh, and if you build a data center, you choose a different type of processor from Intel. We're the same. So the core of our innovation is those recorders. And we've got five families of those, depending okay. on what you need. Right. It doesn't matter what weight you have, but do you need all-wheel steer or only front-wheel steer? Do you need height leveling and so on and so forth? And then you build around those whatever you need. So when we work with OEMs, it doesn't make any sense for us to build chassis for them because they're quite capable of doing that. So we'll give them the IP for our chassis design, but we will manufacture those corners. Some of the other players like Morgan Olson, Poindexter Group, etc., which build top hats, they need a full chassis. They don't have anything to do with corners. So for them, we'll provide a full chassis, including batteries, if needed. Well, some of our other uh, customers need a full vehicle. So for that, we partner. We don't build a full vehicle, but our partners such as uh, Magna and Toyota are fully mm -hmm. capable of completing that vehicle yeah. and homologating it to go on the road. So they can have a full vehicle. And as long as it's uh, re-corners and re-platform, that's all us, and we do everything. We do the hardware, software, and mechanics ourselves. You have some very ambitious growth plans over the next five to 10 years. Where do you see the growth happening the most in terms of geographically across the world? Well, I, I thought they were modest. Uh, well, let's put some numbers on those. I mean, you, you've managed to project where you're going based yep. on the fact that you've got funding now through the SPAC that you did with right. 10X which has given you a valuation and enabled you to also project revenue Correct. I think through to 2026. Correct. There's a quite an eye-watering number of... Uh, yeah, but, but, but if you look at it, it, it it's, it's a fair point. I think we're amongst the few who built a bottom-up approach. Okay. So that model is built bottom-up. It's not top-down. It's not an estimation of market penetration and then year-over-year -year growth. It's actually... Each of the lines in our business model has a customer name. Okay. And that's just adding up 
who decided to partner with us and their quantities. And of course, some conservative factors on that. So, and, and you know, it's an interesting point. We see a few players recently in the market um, restating their projections mm -hmm. and, and some of them quite heavily restating them. And, and that might cause some turbulence in the market. And that's, that's a pity because we, 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 we believe that well done is much better than well said. And in order to achieve that, you all the time have to under-promise in order to over-deliver. Mm -hmm. So this is why I, I think our ambitions are quite modest in that fact that we've just showed what we have today without adding numbers on future growth. So that's, that's one. The way to accomplish that is to understand that new mobility and electrification is far too large for one player to do. Right. So if you want, it's all, the, the proof is in the pudding. If you want to have a, uh, to be an, uh, I believe, if you want to be a, uh, a vertical player, Elon showed that you have to do about 20, 25 billion dollars in, in capital to raise. And even he almost went bankrupt about four times without any competition. We've got Rivian, which is an amazing company, uh, probably raising about 20 billion uh, altogether, um, which is more or less the number you have to be a vertical player. Mm -hmm. Without that, I don't think it's feasible to create that sort of impact. It's, it just it's not sustainable. So this is why we chose to be a vertical player. We partner instead of building everything ourselves. So for example, uh, we started building our supply chain back in 2018. And some of our suppliers have believed in us so much and still do, so, so they are also investors. Like American Axel, like mm -hmm. Musashi, which is the world's largest gear manufacturer, part of Honda. Like uh, MacMaven. And, and, and they produce, at the end of the day, our componentry. So, uh, for example, last week, I think it was last week, we announced that uh, we nominated American Axel yeah. for, for our EDU program, our, our electric drive, which is a joint development we announced prior to that, uh, that we're doing together. And, and it doesn't make any sense for Re to do some of the stuff because, for example, what American Axel is doing is quite astonishing and the thing they've already forgotten, we have not yet learned. So the whole idea is to pick up from where they are instead of doing what is it that we do. So when we partner with those two ones, they give us access to manufacturing lines and they give us access to capacity. We're not competing with them, we're completing them. And same with the OEMs and same with the bodybuilders and same with the delivery guys and so on and so forth. I think that's the key, creating a network to work together. Mm -hmm. But you can't create a network without a joint platform to build on. We're seeing a lot of new vehicle manufacturers entering into the space and we're also seeing a surge in electrification. Yep. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about where you see yourself versus the global automakers who have been building cars for 100, 110 years, some of them, but are not necessarily advancing in the way that a company like yours is. You're coming in very new and climbing steeply. You mentioned Rivian, you mentioned Tesla as well. Tesla's obviously been around 10, 12 years to get to the point to where they are now. But how do you see the global automakers su succeeding in this world? Yeah, I, I think what we see is a little bit deeper. 
the automotive changed. Back in the day, not long ago, all that matters was what brand the vehicle is. I mean, we all had the brand we would love to drive, and, and you know, I had, I would not name it, but a really shitty one that broke down all the time, but you know, looking at it, what did, did the work. I actually remember going to work at the garage on a Friday in order to afford the repair. It was a nightmare. Uh, some can guess what make it is, right? Today, when we call an Uber or a Lyft, do we really care what brand comes in? We, we, we don't. When we see a UPS or FedEx or Amazon truck, do we even know what brand drives it? It's a UPS truck. It's a Fed we just want the parcel to be at our doorstep. So the brand shifted. Now, OEM used to be the brand that they, by having the brand, they control supply and demand. And that changed. So what they're doing now, how do they differentiate themselves? They do two things. One, they move closer as a pack and creating alliances. And we see those alliances being created. Second, they differentiate not on brand, because now they're an alliance, brand doesn't matter anymore. They differentiate on connectivity, autonomy, and power technology, battery. And you see all major players looking at those three. We don't do AI either. We're completely agnostic to all those three and accelerating their move forward. Because if you think about it, OEMs have not been developing anything for decades now. They've been outsourcing it, right, just in time. They've, this is what T1s did. This is what their contract manufacturer did. So we're providing them with a full system instead of component that they would have to put into a system which they can't. They can't do it in time. And we basically say to them, guys, concentrate on what differentiates you from everybody else. Concentrate on the connectivity, on the uh, uh, autonomy, and on the battery technology. We'll got you covered with everything else. And we get it faster than you can do it internally, and at a fraction of the cost. I won't get you to name the CEO that I'm thinking of, but there is a CEO who's spoken very openly about his global vehicle manufacturing operation and the fact that it needs to change in order to succeed. Are you seeing resistance within those companies that's preventing the change that let's, let's say the senior management is trying to bring in yeah of course we do but that's not new that's not new it's called momentum right that ship has been sailing in a certain direction for a very very long time it is meticulously built to sail in that waters right. this water that, that's what it does now when you want to steer it it doesn't necessarily obey mm -hmm. and it's inherited within because it's so well crafted to sell certain waters and you see quite a lot of challenge with quite a few large automakers understanding they're heading towards an iceberg mm -hmm. but not necessarily able to steer and we've seen by the way quite a few brands disappearing recently or significantly dropping because they hit the iceberg faster than they thought Final question, Daniel. We've spoken a lot about the change in technologies, but maybe you can touch briefly on what are some of the key changes in business model that you think we're going to see in the mobility space over the next five years? I, I think the main change, it's a good question actually, I think the main change is that we're moving from, you know, Henry Ford said that you can get it in any color you want as long as it's black, which today is probably the mirror image of that. Everybody wants something different. But think about it. Why did Amazon ended up with Rivian? Because they couldn't get anything that they wanted from anybody else, right? So, so they just bought one. 
which ended up to be a great deal, if you think about it, right? Um, so we're moving towards what the industry called mission-specific vehicle, a far higher variety of vehicle, larger permutation, smaller batches. For, you can't make a million or something anymore. There's no, but it doesn't work. You have to look at a far larger variation of offering at a much smaller batches. And you have to create a brand new way of supporting that both on the demand side and on the supply side. And I think this is what we do at Ring. That's exactly what we do. Daniel, it's been a pleasure having you on Ride. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Ride, the urban mobility podcast, is brought to you by Covetic and Pay by Phone. Learn more about Ride podcast partners at www.covetic.com and www.paybyphone.co.uk. This episode of Ride was recorded and produced by Martin Strong. Natalie Webster provided marketing support and Thomas Novak provided expert insight and project management was led by Segal M. Buter. If you like our podcast, please rate it. A five-star rating will help us reach more listeners. For episode notes, to find more information about Ride or to sign up for updates, visit www.ridemobilitypodcast.com.